at Bush Gardens Christmas Town. Rekindle the spirit of holiday traditions for you and your family. Delight in the wonder of over 10 million twinkling lights. Cherish the moments as you enjoy new holiday shows and visit Santa and Rudolph. And immerse yourself in a world transformed by the season at the world's most beautiful theme park. The holidays shine brightest at Bush Gardens Christmas Town. Select dates through January 2nd. Right now, it's the best deal of the season. Save over 50% with tickets as low as $24.99. Restrictions apply. Well, hello there, and welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com. You can find all our previous episodes on animationforadults.com, on iTunes, on podcast.com, and now on Stitcher as well, if that's your preferred way of getting your podcasts. Um, This is episode 13, and it's not like your average episode because it consists of a very interesting interview that Yvonne and I did the other day with Brian Austin from The Animation Project, which is a very interesting program that is um, dealing with at-risk youth, teaching them animation and things as a form of therapy. And it was a very interesting conversation that you will hear in just a minute. Um, But if you want to know any more about that, uh, you can visit theanimationproject.org online and you can find out all about the project and watch some of the films that the uh, kids involved have made. And I think you will enjoy listening to the interview. Uh, so we'll just get on with it. And we'll see you for a more normal episode next week. Okay, I'm here with Vaughn today and we are talking with Brian Austin who is an animator and the founder of a very interesting um, organisation called The Animation Project in New York which is uh, helping uh, disadvantaged youth and um, like offenders and stuff. Um, is that how you describe it, Brian? Um, yeah, we, we work mostly with youth who are court-involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so disconnected youth, extremely disconnected youth, I would say. Yep. Um, but before you did that, you were uh, animator, generally. Um, could you just uh, give us a bit of a background to your, basically your animation history, really? Sure. Well, I, I graduated with a, a degree in painting way back in 1987, and I think it was the day I graduated, my father-in-law said to me, so now what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and I had no idea. And he said, there's this thing called computer graphics. You should take a look at it. And that was, that was really the early days. There was no 3D. There was, there was some 3D, um, Autodesk. What is it? Um, oh, the architecture program, AutoCAD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I started with AutoCAD. And then, um, little by little, some, you know, 3D animation platforms came out. And I actually started my first 3D experience working. I was actually building furniture at the time. Mm-hmm. So I would learn how to do 3D by, you know, recreating some of the furnitures we were building. Oh, wow. So it was just kind of a personal interest because there, I think at that time there were really only, um, jobs in architecture and I was not an architect. So, um, 
so I did that for a while. And then I, I actually worked for like an engineering company to visualize their, um, you know, engineering ideas. And, um, so that's, that's how I got my start. So way back in the late eighties. Yeah. That's, that's really early days for, um, computer yeah. stuff. Right. Um, I know like Pixar and even like Blue Sky go back a long way, but maybe not quite that far. Um, yeah. Uh, and then uh, we come to Tap itself. How did that get started? Well, I I was always interested in art and psychology, and um, I I wanted to study art therapy um, at some point, and then I actually my interest in animation turned into a job. So I actually was working for a small production company, boutique studio in New York. Mm-hmm. And that kind that kind of took my, my sights off of art therapy. And I worked in the animation industry in New York for a little over a decade, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was mostly advertising. And then I actually, um, burnt out on the work. So I really didn't want to be in advertising anymore and, and actually did not want to do, I wanted nothing to do with computers anymore. <laughs> and so I went back, I went back to school and got my master's in art therapy and actually was working in psychiatric hospitals on locked, you know, a locked psych unit at Bellevue. And, um, the kind of ideas for the animation project were kind of, coming together in my mind. Um, and then my first group I ran was actually, I was working with some kids in foster care and I decided to bring my laptop in and just kind of test out what 3D animation would be like for them. Mm-hmm. That was the first, we did our first animation. And then I spent the next two years actually working in psych hospitals and developing a business plan and launched the animation project in 2008. Wow. And it's moved from psychiatric sort of area to more the, um, the... You know, well, I worked in, I worked in, um, adult psychiatry because I figured if I could run a group with, uh, in a locked psychiatric unit at a place like Bellevue, I could work with kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and I still think it was really good training because the, uh, you know, just the amount of chaos in a room in a locked psych unit is is pretty intense, and there can be a similar feeling when you're working with a, a group of adolescents. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So you have to, you kind of have to keep your composure, otherwise you'll you know, no pun intended, you'll go crazy. Mm. So <laughs> you have to keep your you have to keep your wits about you. So I learned that. Um, and then it just kind of took off there. I just you know I had a laptop and I. Went to a couple of programs and, and ex- that worked with court involved youth. One place in particular was Cases, which works with, um, adolescents who have alternative to incarceration sentences. And I just asked them if I could run a group. Wow. And, and we had, it was just me and a laptop and we had 12 kids coming in and out of the room. And that was the genesis. And then I just built the program around you know, around that experience. Cool. That's great. And it's been growing since then. The, the organization is, is growing. Yeah, yeah. We have, it was just me doing everything. And so, you know, I, I, I was the artist and, I mean, the animator and the therapist. 
So I had to split myself in two and then, you know, so hire an animator and a therapist to run the program or to run each group. So, cause there, I don't know of any animators who are therapists and I don't know of any therapists who can really animate. So. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, That's you've got quite a, quite a big team now. I was looking at the website. There's how many of the, how many regulars do you have? Um, at this point, I think we have six people running the groups, mm -hmm. and we have about three or four interns that help out. We pay them to help out. Yeah, um, talk about that a little bit, um, the progression um, that can sometimes happen with some of the students. Um, the, the program really is kind of changing lives. Could you uh, sort of talk about that? Yeah, so, you know, in each group we have um, several kids who, who take a real interest in the work and want to do more and they're really not ready to to afford a like an animation class or go to an animation school and so we in our office we have an internship program so we bring those kids into our office and it's kind of like an open studio environment and we teach them more animation skills and once they kind of prove themselves in that environment you know by showing up on time and 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 being able to work as a team and get along with people, then we, we pay them to be interns in our other groups so they can earn some money and then, you know, play the role as a mentor and help kids learn the software. Oh, awesome. So great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some of the kids, you know, travel like two hours to get to our office and they still make it, which is pretty impressive. <laughs> In fact, we had a kid yesterday, the poor guy, he, he, he was coming with his friend for the past couple of weeks and his friend actually got arrested on the way to the office. Oops. And because <laughs> he, he, there was there's some confusion about the story, but he jumped the turnstile and so he was cuffed and taken, taken away. And the other kid was really angry and, and also didn't really know the, the route to the office because he was relying on his friend who knew the subways better. Oh, no. But he ended up making it there. You know, and th this kid comes all the way from Coney Island. It takes him about two hours to get to the office. And it's just, you know, it's that, it's that kind of resilience that, that keeps the program going. I mean, it's easy for us to show up. But when a kid goes through that, those kinds of struggles and then still makes it to the office, Right. You know, it's just a testament to, to, to the drive that these kids have to survive. That's great. And these are kids also, what they do is they, these two guys in particular, they say they never leave their apartment in Coney Island because it's too dangerous outside. Oh, wow. So, so they come to the office because it gives them something productive to do. Yeah. So that, you know, just like a story like that is what, I'm not sure what keeps my staff going, but <laughs> stories like that and, and relationships like that keep me going. You know, if they can do it, I can do it. So, yeah, that's terrific, um, man. So, uh, you know, one thing that I um, could you talk a little bit about how, um, like, the things that are built into the the medium of 3D technology. That you mentioned uh, in in interview, actually, I read a portion of um, of the book that you you wrote a chapter for. Uh, what was the book called? I read it. It was really fascinating. 
I, <laughs> I mean, what I, under, what I understood <laughs> was really fascinating. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> uh, I read a little bit of um, materials in media and art therapy. Right, um, right. I think, I think it was like a new media book or art therapy and new yeah. media. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned that um, there are just things inherently built into 3D technologies, CG and animation that um, lend themselves to uh, art therapy. Uh, could you touch on that a little bit? Because it's super interesting. Um. I'm not sure exactly what you're referring to, but I, I mean, early on I used to make a, you know, when, when I, when I came up with my business plan, I really had to, had to justify why I was bringing an expensive technology into the room, mm-hmm. you know, because with art therapy, you could work with crowns, clay, pencils yes. and reach people. And, and, you know, so why was I spending all this money and, and making you know, doing this challenging thing, what what value did it bring to to the table? So there were a couple things that it brought. One of which was, um, I think it's really interesting, just the animation process in general. That it's really you can't really animate unless you plan ahead, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the 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 real core challenge of these youth is they don't plan ahead. One, they don't come from a culture where they're supposed to plan ahead. And two, their brains are not developed yet, so they're not thinking ahead. So we put them in this environment where they have to plan ahead in order to tell their stories. And I think it it builds that part of their – that capacity in, in their brain. Um, so there are lots of things about animation that I think really um, coincide with things that adolescents are supposed to be developing – you know, abstract thinking, planning ahead, delay of gratification. I mean, you, mm-hmm. Yvonne, you know, as an animator, you can't, you have an idea. It may take you a month to realize it. Right. So you have to be able to, to delay gratification. And a lot of these kids are in the system because they, they weren't able to delay gratification. They want it now. They go steal it. They, you know, they jump the turnstile. They want it now and they can't pause. So. Just the animation process itself is has this pause and slow down built into it, which I think is challenging for the youth, but it's also really beneficial. And they and they seem to they seem to kind of accept that struggle and actually you know go through the steps. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to I actually used to think that three D animation. You know, the software in itself was going to lend some really new kind of dynamic into the art therapy world. Um, but I don't think that's the case anymore. I think just like uh, a pencil has a certain um, kind of tactile quality and a certain range of expressions that you can do with it. Mm-hmm. And that's different than a set of crowns. It's different than a set, you know, a, a, a a pound of clay and it's also just different for 3d it's just they're not really so different it's just like a qualitative difference Mm -hmm. so um but i think some of my staff think differently about that so i know one of my staff members was talking the other day that he thinks that there's this real just the way a kid can like look at a 3d object and spin it around and really kind of think about 
how they're building that object, mm-hmm. that that's a really therapeutic thing that's not really in a lot of other media. Just that, you know, you have to make these really concrete decisions to make something happen. You don't really like scribble and then find a design. You know, you have to really think about the steps you're going to take. And that's, that's probably a little different than just picking up a pencil and sketching something out. Right. So, yeah, but those, those kinds of questions used to interest me, interest me more. Now what really interests me are really the, the, who these kids are and the stories they're telling. Oh, definitely. That's, that's what kind of really, really, um, is, is interesting to me. But I, I do think that all the other stuff is probably still there. It's just not what I'm thinking about these days. Right. Um, you know, I mean, go ahead. Sorry. There's this thing now that, you know, everybody talks about, I don't know if you guys heard it, like this idea of digital storytelling, that there's this new way to tell a story. And I, I, I really don't buy any of that stuff. It's just, mm-hmm. it's stories. You can tell a story with a comic book. You can tell a story on the telephone. You can tell a story with animation. They're all they're all, it's all just storytelling. There's no need to say, like, I'm a digital storyteller. I mean, <laughs> like how Pixar are, um, uh, held up as, you know, the great, great filmmakers and that for them, the story always comes first, even right. though they've got right. the highest technology, like, in the industry. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously different if you're doing 3D or, you know, live action film, but every medium has, has a restraint, you know, right, you can't, yeah. 3D animation has a restraint and is resistant. It's, it's not a, just like a pencil is resistant. You can't do certain things with it. So you work within that, those confines and you create what you want to create. So, um, it is interesting <laughs> though, with regard to the medium, um, I mean, so many, it seems that so many of the, uh, the kids already have involvement in video games. And I know that's something that you saw early on. Um, but it's something that we definitely see now. It's like, there's, um, it's not even, I mean, the, the program itself is sort of a magical thing because they get to sort of make objects within the program, but, um, and see the connection and, and sort of see the bare bones of the process. Right. Um, but with regard to uh, like the actual animation or the end product, you know, they, they play video games all the time. <laughs> right. right, right. So they, they get to see what what it takes to make something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think I, you're, you know, I think you're right. It's like they, it's their it's their medium. Mm-hmm. I've taught I taught animation for a while, and I you know I've taught adults and I've taught kids and adults you always have to kind of explain what this 3D space is you're working in. Like, we're kids, you don't have to explain that. It's like they get it immediately that you can spin around this object and look at it from all three, all five, whatever sides, how many sides. So it's just like, whether it's their youth or just the culture, it's just their medium. It's their world. So it's, it makes it a little easier to teach them that. Um, right. You know, adults are like, what do you mean 3D? What are these things? You know, but sort of, yeah, it's sort of like, um, yeah, they sort of go through similarly, probably what you went through when you first opened uh, AutoCAD. Right, right. <laughs> you know, exactly. but, 
virtual, infinite virtual space. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Whereas a lot of the kids, are, they're already, well, not all of them, but a few of them um, are maybe already building stuff in Minecraft. <laughs> right, right. They, they, they understand. That, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah they're great. definitely growing up in an environment where it's always been there, this kind of technology. So not only, yeah, I mean, not only that, but Brian, I know you've seen this. Um, it seems like a lot of the kids, I mean, they isolate themselves to sort of stay out of trouble and turn to video games as kind of a way to interact in the world. Right, um, right. You know, because yeah. if you're on probation for four years... <laughs> How are you going to stand in trouble? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) When you're surrounded by all these, like, um, you know, landmines all around your where you live, like you could immediately get into trouble just by walking outside. Right, and the the other thing that that about video games, it's uh, and I think I wrote about this a little bit in that chapter you read, Mm -hmm. is that it's a place where kids have total control over their world. So when you're playing a video game, you know, you can start and restart, restart anytime. You can do anything you want. But you, you, once you gain mastery over it, you have total control over this environment. And I think for kids that live in really chaotic environments, really traumatic family situations, they go in and lock themselves in a room and they have this one place where, where, where they know what's going to happen. Things, things become predictable, you know, so they're not, you know, if they're playing a first-person shooter game, they may get shot, but they know the parameters of this, and they have control over the environment. When they step outside, they don't have that kind of control. And so I think that's one of the things also that makes, like, 3D animation, creating this stuff really soothing for the kids because they do have this they do have this control where they, you know, they can determine how big, once they gain a little skill, they have total control over what's on the screen. Yeah. You know, and I think that's very, I think that's very soothing. You know, imagine a kid who's just, one of the kids yesterday, the same kid, he's, he, he's in what's called, I forget what, what, what they, what he called it, but he has protection going to school because a gang is after him. So he has to cross a gang line to go to school and he needs protection to do that. So you can imagine what that's like when he goes to school in the morning and you can imagine why he wouldn't want to go to school. And then you give him that kid a video game and he's like, this is my world. Like I'm safe in here. You know, I'm, I'm not threatened. I can, I can have fun and relax, let my guard down. You know, I think that's one of the things that our groups do is allow these kids to, to, let their guard down and just be themselves and say what they want to say and have this space where they can, you know, we, we don't impose a lot of rules on their, we, we impose no rules on their thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's very soothing for these kids. Oh, great. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering, um, so what do you see for the, the future of the organization or is it, is impossible to say, I mean, just sort of, do you see it just kind of continue? I mean, I see it continuing to grow, but um, do you have any um, plans for, you know, integrating, I don't know, even more technology or, or, um, or what organizations are you reaching out to? Or, I mean, is that even something that's 
that can be answered at this point? Yeah, I mean, it was, it's funny because I was sitting in, in the internship, in the intern alumni group yesterday, and there were, you know, six kids, and they were all, like, really focused on building these 3D models, and, you know, <laughs> nobody was on their phone, nobody was on the Internet, everybody was working, and I was like, I, somebody said something, I think it was one of our animators said, look at this, this is great, and I just said, yeah, I think I should create a company, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I always wanted to have like take these kids and have them do jobs, have them be do like have a tap production studio where someone comes in and you know and these kids work on their projects for them, you know redesigning a logo or doing animation or something and really give these kids some income and have a you know a little a little tap production studio. That's fantastic. Like graduate into it basically. Yeah, yeah, you know, we'd have, we'd have to manage it, and some kids would do more or less than others, you know, depending on their skill and interest and talent. And but it could just be a team where where these kids can learn how to be entrepreneurs and and you know put together a project, you know, work as a team on something and make some money. That's yes. great. It's a bit like when they um. When they do things like, I think Jamie Oliver opened a, a restaurant um, where it's entirely staffed by, um, I think I don't know if they're they're like ex-offenders or whatever, but they're all right. like young people. Right. Um, yeah, there's a couple of programs like that. There's that that uh, priest out in California, I think Father Joe or something. He's got like a full restaurant with all these kids running it. Um, you know, because I think these kids. Traditional industries are not going to give them a chance because they're going to come late. They're going to, you know, not show up. They're going to come with trouble. They're go- they're not going to show, you know, be like an easy employee to manage. Mm-hmm. And so, an organization has to be able to tolerate, you know, sometimes these kids for the internship come an hour and a half late, mm-hmm. you know, and and we welcome them because we know, you know, it's like we're happy you came. But a, a traditional employer, you know, a conventional employer would have to fire them. You know, there's no way you could run a business on that. But these kids need that. I'll never forget one one of our first interns was um, we got him an uh, an internship in a company called Worlds Away Productions, and he was he seemed to like it, but he was coming like two or three hours late all the time, and this was early on in our program and, and everybody was trying to figure out, well, we, you know, we thought this kid really wanted this. Maybe he doesn't want it. Maybe he's just not interested. And we sat down with him and we didn't even really mean to have this conversation, but you know, I mean, well, we, we won't want to have the conversation about why he was late, but he was saying that he didn't know why he was late. He was talking to, to his mother about it this morning. He's like, I don't know why I'm late all the time. I really like what I'm doing. And one of my staff members, just like out of the blue, asked him, how long does it take you to get from home to, to the office? And he, he said, what do you mean? And they're like, how long does it take you to get from your house to where you internship, where your internship is? And he said, I have no idea. <laughs> so this kid was wanting to do the work, but didn't have the cultural skill set or whatever you want to call it to time his trip. It just wasn't part of his vocabulary. 
His mother didn't even know that that was something you th- you thought about. You just get up and you go, and you get there when you get there. <laughs> and we actually, my one of my employees rode the train with him. It actually took him two hours to travel. So we mapped out an agenda for him. So if you have to be there at 10, you have to leave your house by 8 o'clock the latest. And it didn't fix everything with this kid, but it just demonstrated that you know, these kids who are really late to stuff and and people could easily look at that and say, this is a bad kid and he doesn't want it. He's lazy or he's not making the right choices. When the reality is these kids are not really making a choice. They don't know what the options are. Mm-hmm. They're not having this conversation in their head about what time do I have to leave to get to work? So it's not you can't fault them for that. You know, it's something that's missing in the way they were, in the way they grew up. You know, not to say anything about their families or anything, but it's just not, it's not relevant for the environment that they grow up in, that they have to know how to be on time for something. What's relevant is survival and day to day, hour by hour, minute by minute. That's how you survive. You don't, you, another thing, like you don't think ahead. You don't plan ahead. You just do what's immediately expedient and what's gonna what's gonna pay your rent today, and that's that's their world view, which is that's how they survive. So to take them out of that and expect them to show up on time, and then if you're punitive against them for not showing up on time, I think you're missing. You know, someone misses the picture mm-hmm. versus trying to help them to understand what this travel distance is. And, you know, these things that most, you know, most people take for granted. Oh, yeah, if I have to be somewhere at 10, I got to leave at 9. You know, Mm. most people, it's just automatic. But if you imagine that that wasn't in your range of thought, of course you'd be late. And it wouldn't be your fault. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, those, those kinds of things I think are, you know, one of some of the obstacles that prevent these kids from entering the, the, the system. You know, entering the, the the dominant culture, it's just not their worldview. So yeah, that that sounds uh, definitely. Not only that, there's a level of stress too that's just constant. I mean, um, yeah, right? You hear constantly, you know, basically they're just trying not to get jumped all of the time. All the time, right? <laughs> Could you I imagine? Mean, and then you imagine that them, you know not doing well in school because of all that stress and then they may get punished or reprimanded for not doing their homework when all they're thinking about they're so exhausted from trying to survive this kid yesterday was telling us that he is so tired of being harassed by cops he's exhausted he's angry because he committed a crime five years ago and everywhere he goes he gets harassed by the cops and and it just it's you can just see it in the poor kid's face. It's beating him down, and he has no other option but to get angry because there's nothing. You know what do you do in that situation? He's just beaten down, and and he's not going to school because of the gang stuff. And how does a kid like that? How is he expected to, you know, to make a decision and make a different choice and? you know, do something. Right. And, and once someone gets in trouble one time and I mean, their face comes up in like 
every single crime in the community. Right, right. <laughs> Their face comes up, you know, in group yeah. photos and everything like that. I mean, it, it's, yeah. Yeah. So that they're constantly being reminded and, and that that mistake that they made is being addressed and readdressed. Right, yeah. right. And they, they internalize that, that they think they're bad and they're never going to be good. And, you know, I can't tell you how many groups we run where where we've shown the animation that the kids have created in the end and they can't bring themselves to say it's good and that they're proud of it. They just think it stinks. I mean, it's because they... They just internalize this sense that they're bad, and to try to shake that is is a is a you know a long process. Yeah, this in the stories. Could you talk a little bit about um, how you feel uh, that sort of importance of story? I mean, I, I know that's vague, but um, I mean, it really just as a medium, it really does seem to. First of all, all the the. End- products can be um, very moving I mean just um, right. just based on story and dialogue and script I mean these stories um, I don't, there's this every time we play them either for group or, or you know whenever I just watch them it's like they're just so human I mean and these right. kids have so many stories to tell um, right and, you know it's just great when they are able to take the opportunity you know to sort of come together and do that I mean, could you maybe touch on that and just uh, uh, have read like? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, what, what, two things. One that just the one of the things we stress in group is that they can tell any story they want. Um, the only stories they really can't tell are stories that are bad, meaning like we, we try to push them to make a good story. But as far as content of story, it's really up to them. And I think they're really not used to doing something like that. One of the, one of the first things that happens when a kid gets arrested is they're not told to think anymore. So they're told what to do for every stage that they're involved in the, in the justice system. You know, pull your pants up, go here, go there, do this, do that, you know, check this box, you know, talk this way, walk this way, change your behavior. And then they come into one of our groups and it's like, we'll do anything you guys want. What do you want to do? And I think initially it kind of throws them like, what, you know, what the hell does that mean? Why do you want, you know, you know, why would you want to do that? And they don't really trust us at first. And then they'll either pitch us a really aggressive, violent story to see if we're serious or they'll pitch us a story that is just like, oh, someone gets arrested and they go get a job and they're really happy and they have a great family. Like a, a story that, that they think like they want us, that, that we want to hear or something. And then once we push them, what I think, what I think the, what I think is kind of common through all the stories that these kids tell is they're really trying to tell people what their lives are like. They're not really trying to, to, to communicate something else. I really think it's about here's, here's how hard my life is mm-hmm. and maybe you'll understand. They don't really say this, I think, but maybe you'll understand why I got in trouble. Like, look at this. How, how could you not get in trouble if you had this life, you know? So I think that's like a, a real common theme. It's just like, cause these kids, nobody knows what these kids lives are like. Cause no one, no one ever really asked them. 
and they're always told that they've done that they've done something wrong. So I think they really come alive, and that's what's kind of really moving about the program is to is just that these kids will share what their what their real lives are like, you know, and that, that's that's like a really moving aspect to it. Right. As soon as they get over, <laughs> as soon as they um, um, realize they don't have to give all of the details, <laughs> like right. the, <laughs> the incriminating details, that's one thing. We're like, right. oh, no, sure. well, you can tell it in a different way. <laughs> right. You can right. T- change the names and locations. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, um, yeah, it does open up, and then suddenly it's like, oh, wait a minute. Um, yeah. I've got lots of stories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the stories are are as you know, Avon. They're just they're they're incredible. Yeah. They say, I mean, they say a lot about they they say a lot a lot about the lives that that most people don't see. You know, they don't see what these kids' lives are like. And not only that, I mean. Um, and and then outside of story, I mean, one thing that that um, I've noticed, and I know you've seen this countless times, um, is that these kids are um, really smart. I mean, they take to the software, not even um, because of the whole, you know, what we were talking before about how they're sort of um, like the idea of 3D space and, and video games sort of um, maybe gives them a little bit of a leg up because of their age. Um, however, um, you still have to have uh, it's a it's a challenge to to you know learn the interface and learn steps and, and it's not as though um, they're taking they're able to necessarily take this software home or have even a place to work. Uh, right. They're not studying any of this at home, but they come back and they remember everything that they've been shown. Some of them wind up teaching themselves, and they work right. better that way just because. Um, for whatever reason. Um, so you really, I mean, these kids have, I just think of it as sort of like honors level intelligence. They just <laughs> sort of aren't really given the shot, you know, whereas, uh, you know, people, kids in other circumstances, uh, maybe even other skin colors, you know, are given second, third chances to like test out of what environment they're in and sort of right, go into right. these honors classes. <laughs> right, you know? right. It's 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 the resilience and the you know the fact that these kids want something, but there's nothing in their neighborhoods. So once they once you give them the option, they're like, hey, this is this you know. I mean, think about it. the only things they really know. They know basketball, so they all want to be NBA players. They know music, so they all want to be hip hop stars. So they have these two things that dominate their culture. And their neighborhoods. So of course that's what they want to be. If they also had like, you know, animation studios in their neighborhood or, you know, cooking schools, all the other things that a lot of other people have in their neighborhoods, they'd, they'd want to also be those things. But they only see like two options. What, what, what can black people do? They can rap or they can play basketball. You know, they don't even think about being an animator. <laughs> It's just not even right. in their lexicon. You know, yeah, their, mother, and, their parents yeah. would be like, what is that? <laughs> you know? I'll never forget, we had this one kid who was who had, had become an intern for us, and he was really good with the software. 
And there were two things that happened with him, which just say a lot. One was we, we brought a foundation body to a site visit, one of our funders, and we brought this kid over to, to talk to them. So the woman from the foundation said, so, so what do you want to do with animation? I hear you're really good. And the kid just said, I don't know. <laughs> and it came across as apathy and like <laughs> just not interest. But what I found out later in reality, he didn't know what, what it meant to be an animator. He didn't know what he could do with this skill because we brought him to the office and he was working with one of our animators, Russell, who has done a lot of commercials. And Russell was showing him these commercials that the kid had seen on TV. And he was asking Russell questions like, how did you do that? And Russell was a little dumbfounded because it was like, well, it's like, you know, you're, you're sitting right in front of the software. I didn't with. But the kid <laughs> couldn't make that connection. He's like, what do you mean that you did this commercial? What does that even mean? So the kid had all these questions for Russell. And then the next week the kid came back and he was working in 3D and he just was like, Oh, did Russell do those commercials <laughs> on this software? <laughs> like, you know, and, and it's like, of course, <laughs> you know, we've been saying that to the kid for weeks now, but it's so, so to look at that kid and say, Oh, he doesn't know what he wants to do. It's apathy or it's just disinterest is misses the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, if he, the kid knows what it means to be a basketball player or a rap star because he's well versed in that. He doesn't know what else is available because he's not well versed in it. And once you, once you show them that they can also do this, then their interest level rises because they have knowledge about it. Right. Um, and, and it's just, yeah. Yeah. It's just over and over again. I see this. What, what, what I think dominant culture defines as apathy and bad choices. What it really is, is just, just lack of exposure and lack of knowledge. Lack of opportunity. Lack of opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Give these kids the opportunity and they'll, they'll kick all our asses. <laughs> you know? I mean, so yeah, they're, they're so smart, right? Yvonne? I mean, they, the things that they learn and pick up on and, and say yes. yeah so smart and and the thing is like they've already learned they've lived so much and have had so many experiences i mean in some ways you know it's almost like they've learned lessons that it takes other people their whole lives to learn right <laughs> you right. know yeah. um it's just it's really a matter of i mean trust is a big uh issue um Right. I mean, you know, it's just their environment. They're sort of locked in their environment. We touched, we talked about this before, but yeah, uh, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, um, yeah, no, they're, they're just so smart. I mean, they really are. They're super smart kids. Yeah. Do you, do you have like a favorite, uh, well, that's a, that's such a great question, but do, do you have a tap movie that really kind of, um, like inspired you, especially early on, that that really you thought, oh, this is really coming together, and and um, it's kind of like magical. I mean, did that happen immediately, or is this sort of like a, it was like a, was you know, or were you just totally hooked while you were um, starting the program when you were you know working on your masters for art therapy? And... 
Yeah, I you think. Know what I mean? Yeah, I think. I mean, some some of the the videos stand out or um, were really impactful. I mean, I, I I definitely like them all because they all say something about, particularly the ones yeah. where I was involved with the kids in the group. You know, once you once you know what the group struggled with and what they came up with in the end, it's you have a connection to it that's you know other people might not have. But now nowadays, I, I see you know I'm not involved in the in running the groups as much so or at all really. So I see these movies for the first time and I don't know the kids, hmm. and I think I watch them a little differently. And I think there's. It's actually just more like a, in addition to just like just being really impressed by the stories they tell. There's just a real sadness to what the stories are about. You know, it's you know, uh, one of the recent stories was about a guy who gets arrested for 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 I forget what reason, but he winds up in jail, and in jail is where he meets this older man who becomes like a father figure to him. And it's like, you know, well, where do these kids get male role models? They get them in prison. You know, where, where, and, and where are their fathers? Most of their fathers are in prison. So it's just like, you know, you, you see the kids tell those stories and, and it's, it's pretty tragic. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's where, where they learn, where these kids learn. They learn on the street. They learn from, older males who have been in trouble, you know, and, and they learn from people who have gone through what they've gone through. So it's like this, almost like a, you know, like an oral tradition of how they learn. They're not learning in the ways that, you know, they're not going to class and learning their stuff. You know, they're going to jail and learning their stuff. <laughs> you know, they're learning on the streets. They're, you know, so just that it, it it's, um, so I have a different relationship now because, like I said, I used to just be like I'd be with the kids making the movies and I'd remember all the kids and everything we talked about. Where now I see the movies fresh, mm-hmm. and so the stories become really, really meaningful. And uh, what about the what about the founders or um, some of the other organizations that sort of see the movie? I mean, do you like what kind of response have you been getting? I, I mean, I know what kind of response I've been getting from people people who like can't close. I understand when they ask me, you know, what I've been doing or what, <laughs> right. what I've been working on, and I tell them about tap, and they're like, okay. <laughs> but then uh, just recently I was just like, well, watch this. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what have you found, um, like, what's the response been like? Um, I mean, they, you know, it it it's always – it's always that gap between like describing what you do. And then we had, we had, a, we had somebody come by the studio last week and was a, uh, a producer in the animation world. and just wanted to come by and see if they could volunteer some stuff. And we were just describing the program and she immediately started, you know, saying that we're doing too much because they're used to doing like, you know, a seven minute cartoon and it'll take them like 30 days of hundreds of animators to do it. Right. And so she was just looking at our production schedule and started to like hack it up and was like, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. You know, it's like, she was like completely confused as to how, as to what this work might look like. And then we showed her one of the videos and she was like, what you did that in, 
18 hours with these <laughs> who've never used the software before. She was just like amazed. So it's, it's kind of like, it's always, I think half of the people that we work with who fund us don't have any idea what the hell we're doing. <laughs> they just know that it's, it's technology. They know the kids like it. They know it's sexy. You know, they know it's not, you know, mural painting. They know it's something different and they just trust the process that something's going to happen. But, but they see the animations and they're like, holy cow. Like, you know, how did you, yeah. what? <laughs> How'd you do that? <laughs> so oh, yeah. it's, pretty, I... <laughs> it's pretty impressive. That's great. Yeah, I actually remembered what I was going to say. Um, and it ties in. Uh, one thing, I mean, with these kids like being um, so bright uh, is that, you know, we, we sort of also let them know that, you know, you don't need to have a degree right. necessarily um, to, to be an animator. Like it's really just about the work. Um, so if they, and you can even have, you know, you can work as a freelancer. <laughs> I mean, I tell them that, like, I work as a freelancer. Like, you can set your own schedule. You know, you, you really, you can work remotely. I mean, it's not impossible. It's difficult, and you have to be on top of things, and you, you definitely have to work really, really hard. But um, if they're interested in doing it, you know, they absolutely can. Like, they don't, no one's going to look at your credentials or even even your history at all. You, they're just going to look at your work. Right, and, um, right, and that's really the focus, and it's kind of a um, great industry for that. <laughs> um, right, right. You know, yeah, and, 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 if you're if you're too conventional, nobody will want to talk to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> you know, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> I can remember that I, I used to tell the story of the kids. The first animation, the first interview for an animation job I ever had, I remember I walked in with a suit on, a suit and a tie. <laughs> and the second I walked into the room, I knew I, I was done for. I wasn't going to get the job because all these guys were hanging around in shorts and sandals and, you know, hadn't slept in four days and were unshaven. And I walk in all like, like I'm interviewing for a bank job, you know, and it was just like the, the, the wrong culture. It's like, <laughs> you know. Hawaiian shirts is the way to go, I believe. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. And it's, and, for, and you know, put your work. It doesn't matter. It's you know, your work. Your work is what counts, and your reliability. You know, mm -hmm. do you show up? Do you work well with others? And can you get the job done? That's right. Yeah, show, shows them as long as they work hard, they can. Yeah, they've got a chance at least. Yeah, exactly. So, mm. you know, these kids. You know, the quality that these kids bring, I think, is a. You know, to survive on these streets, you have to be hyper vigilant. You have to be able to read people really well. You have to be able to know everything going on in your environment because your life depends on it. So when these kids get in an environment, I've had so many times where kids, I'll never forget Robert. Um, you know, he's one of our, one of the guys, he was an early participant and now he works for us. So he said to me one time, he goes, when I got the group, he said, I was just watching you guys and listening to what you said and just watching to see if you were going to do it. Yeah. You know, so, so, but that, that's like a real asset in a work environment to walk in a work environment and know, to be able to size up everybody immediately, 
you know, to be able to pick out in the room who's a friend or who's a foe or, or, you know, know everything that's going on in the room. Most people walk in a room and they, they're not worried about surviving. They're just going to go in and, you know, but I remember when we got Robert, his internship, the, the studio head was like, he's next to a guy from school of visual arts and Robert is hungry. And the guy, from, the guy from school of visual arts just expects he's going to get this job. Because he went to wow. school and he's privileged, but Robert is hungry and looking at everything and wanting to learn and, and that's like an asset that, that can be developed in, in these kids and it's one that they need to survive in the streets and I think it would, it serves them well in, in a work environment. And not only, yeah, I mean, and not only that, but the way the program is set up is, um, is so effective because, you know, I mean, speaking of Robert, who's a wonderful guy, um, super driven and uh, just lovely. He's lovely, and um, and he does the same job I do. We work in a one group together, and um, and he, you know, not only does he have a level of expertise with regard to the program, and he's really good at reading people and, and a really great teacher um, for the participants. You know, he's also been there. So, I mean, right. he he can relate to the uh, the other kid, or the kids in the group, um, you know, in a different way. And, and really, um, he sets an example as well in some ways. And also just, you know, there's a, he's trusted, and he should be. Right. <laughs> right. You know, um, it's just, it's something else. It's it's really kind of a beautiful thing to, to uh to see him in action, and he's so talented. I mean, right, yeah. like he's he's kind of a renaissance man, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> like his music yeah. and you know design, and um, he really. I mean, I see big things in his future. But yeah, anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a it's the way it's set up, sort of bringing interns uh, and then hiring interns or finding them other in- internships elsewhere. I mean, it's a uh, it's great how the program sort of sort of feeds itself. Right, right. You say about um, a lot of the story, this, the stories they tell, um, sounds like they're autobiographical, most of them. Um, but do they, are they sort of, are they all sort of literally autobiographical, like, um, you know, real world conventional sort of, or do many of them, like, tell their story, I don't know, you know, in a fantasy or something like that. A, a, a few are able to use like symbols and metaphor. Like we've had a couple of groups that the story takes place in the jungle, and they're you know the characters are animals, and they represent certain things. Um, but I'd say that's kind of rare. Mm-hmm. They're more they're more reality based. You know, they're really more like I think probably eighty percent of the situations take place in the projects. Usually the first thing that we do is build the projects. Hmm. So it's, it's really, it's more nitty gritty than that. And I think that's, there's two reasons for that. One is I think that they just want to tell the real story. Like I said before, they want people to know what their lives are like. And then the other, the other thing I think it comes from such a lack of resources that they don't have the luxury of having a fully developed imagination. I remember when the 
the very first group I did in, in the foster care setting, I told these kids, we can make, here's this computer. I demonstrated a few things about how 3D works. I said, we can build anything you guys want. You know, what do we want to make? And there were three adolescent males in the group. And the first thing we built was a bathroom. The next thing we built was a bedroom with a dresser of drawers and a bed and a closet. And what it was, was these kids in foster care didn't have a home. Wow. So their fantasy is to build a home. So, oh, wow. And then after we built this like environment, then they built this giant gymnasium with like a giant boxing ring and they had like Dragon Ball Z pictures around the room. <laughs> so it's, it's almost like a metaphor for, you know, if their needs aren't met, they don't have time to just fantasize about this dream world. But once their needs are met, then they have the luxury. You know, if you have a bed and a bathroom and a kitchen, then you can dream. <laughs> mm. If you don't have a bed, a bathroom and a kitchen, you're really just trying to get that bed and bathroom and kitchen. You know, you don't have time to dream. So I think that, I think that maybe that's why a lot of our stories are just kind of reality based and nitty gritty. Um, you know, I could be wrong about that, but I think that's what, that's what's happening. That's really interesting. And I know that, um, yeah, and occasionally, or at least just in my experience, occasionally, like someone will come in and be like, um, there's a spaceship and a guy, you know, <laughs> like, right. and because sometimes you have, um, participants come through and they're like writing fan fiction. And, and that's just because of the, because of the internet, you know, if they have right. an internet connection and they have yeah. a phone, <laughs> um, um, they're actually, some of them are actually writing stories and things. Um, right. Um, we have a couple people that are just, they're just story people. And I mean, one, one guy uh, recently said something like, um, English is the only class that I didn't, you know, that I passed regularly. Right. <laughs> like, oh, wow. that, that was as much, um, like, that's as, as much of a pat on the back as he would give himself. <laughs> and we're like, and he wound up sort of writing the entire story. And, yeah. um, and thriving, doing it. I mean, you could just tell it. Like he really, really got into it. Um, added all kind of twists and turns, and you know, your hair, you you get goosebumps, you know, like sort of right. listening because you're like, that's a beautiful story. Exactly. <laughs> like it's got right. all the elements of arc and and uh, of uh, hero development, and you know, there's a yeah. big battle scene in the middle, like. It's a great story, and he just yeah. came up with it, you know. And it it wasn't even it was based in reality, but he added enough uh, distance. I mean, he had the ability to do that as well. Um, right. It's something else. I mean, and part of it, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. I I, I could be wrong, but um, you know, I, I think it's also like they're able to continue to come to the groups. The sessions sort of run one after the other. So sometimes you get um, the same, you know, repeat. Uh, we hope always that there'll be pre repeat participants. Right. So they'll involve, be involved in one story and then, you know, start a new one. And, um, and I think the longer they're there, the more they're able to sort of, especially the kids who are in, in, into story, they're able to sort of maybe express themselves a little bit more or put twists on things or think about other environments. Right, right. Yeah. 
a little more creative freedom. Yeah. And there's yeah. a level of trust too, I'm sure. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah part sure. Of it. <laughs> for sure. So the kids that come, come through your, the, the program, are they, uh, they're all, they're mainly in, in the court system. Um, are they like mainly like involved with drugs and stuff or, or, you know, do you get ones who've been in, in, you know, in trouble for violence and stuff as well? Or is it? Yeah, we have, yeah, we have a full range. I mean, I would say 80%. I mean, we usually don't know what they're in for and we as a program don't really ask. Um, but I do know from, you know, from the, you can just tell by the, the type of kids that the sites we partner with work with, mm-hmm. you know, some have been everything from armed robbery to, you know, trespassing, you know, smoking pot, you know, hopping a turnstile, graffiti, everything from like low level nonviolent offenses to violent offenses. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a that... full, there's a full range. It definitely seems to run the gamut. And the thing is, like, um, I mean, some of the kids, and sometimes they'll tell you their stories as well. Um, right. And just tell you what happened to them. But, um, you know, some of these kids will be, you know, they'll get in trouble for hopping a turnstile and they'll have a gun on them, which you right, think, right. like, well, why would you, why would you, that? well, that's stupid. But the thing is, like, <laughs> they've got the gun for protection. Right. Because they're getting jumped all the time, and it's not like they're really even. I mean, I'm not saying it's okay to go around with a gun. I'm not saying that. Sure. But, um, but it's something that they have to sort of flash and show, and you know, just to keep from getting beaten up. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. If you if you under if you under understand the environment they're in, some of their choices make make sense. They might and not be the choices, yeah. but they make sense. You know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it's impossible to sort of imagine doing that because you know when you don't live in that environment. But um, right. But also, um, half the time you really forget that they're in trouble. I mean, I right. know that sounds silly, but you just kind of go. I mean, there's just such. You get a chance to when when everything's working um, smoothly. There are moments when you just kind of go, like, you forget that you're at, you know, Department of Probation. <laughs> right, right. And you're just working with these sweet kids. Yep, I think, I think that happens when, when the trust comes in. I remember yeah. we had, this, we had this one kid in the South Bronx. He was 12 years old and he was a gangster and he walked in and he was like, he was a skinny little kid and he was like, what the fuck is this? I don't want to be here. Who the fuck are you guys are fucking cops? And he was like a thug, like, and he even had, when we leave the group at the end, he'd have like 12 or 15 kids waiting for him outside so he could, you know, he was like their leader. And over time, he became a 12-year-old in the group. He was like this little funny, I'm like, you're just a kid, man. But once he (laughs) stepped out on the street, he was a gangster. And it's like, so once they trust you, I think that's when that happens is they, it's like, you're just a kid. Yeah. You know, and they can be kids in the room. They don't have to worry about, you know, defending themselves. They can relax and be, you know, the 15, 14-year-old kid that they are, you know. So you get to see that, which is, I think, a real privilege to work, you know, to work with these kids, to get to, get to see them be just, just you know, like you said, sweet little kids. 
That's so true. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I mean, that's how I was hooked. I mean, I know when, you know, I met you, I was like, oh, this is fantastic. And then that first group, the one participant did exactly that, like went from, uh, or I just, you know, it was my first experience. And, and, you know, this young man who's, you know, 16 and um, tough and a little intimidating looking and, you know, just by the end of the um, group, he was so not enthralled that sort of gave you an ear like, oh, he's into this. <laughs> and he just, you could just watch the transformation. Um, just the ice kind of melted a little bit, just a yeah. little. And um, yeah. and I thought, okay, that's it. I'm done for. Like, <laughs> I just, I'll do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just going to ask, actually, how how you came into it, Avon. Um, how you first got involved with the program? Um, I I think I may I think um, Brian was looking for animators, and I followed up with his call for animators. I don't know, like probably a year and a half before I actually I was able to. Um, participate just because of schedule conflicts and things and I had other projects going on but as soon as I had um, an open window I mean I was just like you know Brian sent me an email said are you still interested and I was like yes please <laughs> and by then I mean the organization had already been growing so I think the, um, the office you, you is it that correct you had a new office and um, and um, a whole structure and um, more people have, have been working there by then. So I think maybe, uh, is that right? Yeah. 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 And, and uh, but yeah, I mean, immediately, like I said, like after the first group, I was um, really hooked. I mean, I, it's just, it's so, it's a gift really, honestly. I mean, it's sort of the whole program. I know for me has sort of changed the way I even look at New York city. Um, it just, it's a gift to be able to to hang out with the kids and sort of have that. It's just, you just get a chance to treat people like human beings. <laughs> it sort of boils down to that. And, um, you know, hang out with them a little bit and hear their stories. And, um, yeah. you know, and then the, the computer uh, stuff is just sort of like icing on the cake, really. Right. As Joe, one of our therapists, says, all, all that stuff, you know, provides the structure mm-hmm. for, for, you know, the, the, the relationships to happen, for, for all these things to happen in the room, that there's all the structure in place, which is we're telling this story, we're teaching you these skills, we're working as a team, and then all this human stuff can happen in that environment, which really makes, I think that's what you're talking about. That's what really... That's what hooks me is people say, why do you do this? Oh, it's so great. You're giving back. It's like, hell no, I'm selfish. I go and I get such a thrill from hanging out with these kids. It's like, I'm not, I don't think I'm saving lives. I'm like having a blast working out with these kids, you know? So it's like that kind of human stuff, but all the, all the structure of the animation project has to be in place for that to happen. You know, there's a frame around it. You know, so we have a deadline where, you know, we're going to have fun in this room, but, you know, we have a production schedule. We're going to make this film, but we're going to have some fun doing it, you know, and that that fun is what makes the work, you know, repeatable. (laughs) 
Yeah. And honestly, it's funny um, that's that kind of structure. You know, we we projected the production schedule recently, and um, and one of the participants, it was just so funny. I mean, it sort of like goes against some of the things that um, have been said in the podcast, like you know, like with regard to like structure and having doing things on time and. It, the thing is, like, because it's an environment where you're sort of, like, looking to the participants to sort of be the production studio. I mean, that's what we are. We're the small right. production studio. And right. um, so then you put a, a schedule up, and they know what they're responsible for. And, I mean, just the other day um, when we project, projected the schedule, one of the uh, kids was like, okay, so um, so we've got to do the yellow and the, they're color-coded. The, um, right. You know, we have, like, asset bill. It's a, you know, legitimate schedule. It's set up on a little spreadsheet. And he's like, so we need to do the yellow and the blue today. And so, like, he's, like, right. figuring it out. <laughs> and, like, he's on top of it. And I was like, oh, boy, like, we better, uh, you know, better deliver here. <laughs> <laughs> better, do, better do what we're going to say we're doing. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so how long does a project normally take? It's the typical project length is eighteen hours of group time. Uh-huh. So that can be divided up, you know, any any number of ways during the course of, you know, twelve weeks, nine weeks, whatever the program is. But sometimes people come back to multiple projects. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And when when the films are actually finished. Where, how widely are they shown? We show, we screen them on site, then we post them all on YouTube, uh-huh. and they, the kids get a copy of them on DVD, so they can take it home. But they also have the the option to you know go to the YouTube site and look at them. We'll, we'll have to post a link to the um, YouTube thing, yeah, along along with the um, along with the podcast, so that people can hear what could people can see yeah. it for themselves. Yep. Sounds yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Evon, was there anything else you wanted to discuss or ask? Uh, I think we covered a lot. Um, Brian, is there anything you want to add or like to sum up or or say or or uh, you know do do call out or? Yeah, well, (laughs) if there are any animators out there listening to this who might want to get involved, contact us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we'll we'll post the the uh, link in the show notes and with the podcast and stuff so that people can get in touch if they want to get involved if they're in in the new york area great great um yeah thanks so much for talking to us it's been really interesting yeah great great. um and yeah best of luck with the project going forward because it's really amazing i think and really inspirational to hear about oh great um thank you thanks for taking an, an interest in interviewing me it's great yeah it's it's really the kind of stuff we like to follow. We like to cover a wide variety of animation stuff. So I think I think this is definitely the kind of thing we should be talking about. Excellent. Okay, that's our show. So thanks very much to Brian Austin for talking to us. Don't forget to keep your eye on animationproducts.com for all the latest animation news, reviews, articles, etc. And follow AFA Blog on Twitter. We'll see you next time. I haven't really woken up. 
<sighs> until I've had my McDonald's breakfast deal. And I know this is true because before breakfast, <laughs> I put my phone in the refrigerator and couldn't find the keys that were already in my hand. Nothing gets the morning going like the first sip of an iced coffee. Get any size and any flavor for 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. McDonald's, I'm loving it. My first plan to spice up the NFL season was to add man-eating tigers to the game. <laughs> we lost a lot of great players that day, and that was my bad. Now I'm bringing you the Caesars Sportsbook app. It's got live in-game betting, parlays, and Caesars rewards, people. It's even better than Tiger Ball. Must be 18. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. 